Hi there, welcome to the My Career Podcast with Pathway CTM. I'm Chris McNamara, your podcast host. Today I'm here with Catherine, CEO of Advisor and OBE 2017 for Services to Education. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Excited. We've been having a, a bit of a podcast discussion outside already, haven't we? But uh, And we met past through um, myself at Pathway CTM, you at Advisor, and I thought I had to get you on the pod because you've got great experience in careers education. It's a passion, passionate subject um, of ours at Pathway CTM, and I'm sure to our listeners it'll be good to, to go over some of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, so let's just take you through your um, your life, if that's okay. okay. So started off at Warwick University doing a history degree. Yeah. Uh, then to Reading uh, University to do a careers guidance uh, qualification. That was a degree in, in careers guidance. Is that right? Um, and then into a careers advisor role, specialising in special needs, which is amazing. And then on to advisor, where you spent um, many a year there looking after schools' careers around Oxford, Buckinghamshire and Berkshire. Um, but one thing I really uh, draw my eye to is your OBE in 2017. So mm. where would you like to start on, on that journey? <laughs> well, which bits? Well, I'm just more interested, um, of course, in how you started and, yeah. and how you got into careers and how you sort of okay. found your way thinking this is for me. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, the way I absolutely got into it right at the beginning was when I had my careers interview at Warwick. Um, he was telling me about this and that thing that I could do. And I sort of went, um, your job? What about your job? How do I do your job? And so he told me all about how you train to be a careers advisor. And I really like the idea that I think work is such an important part of people's lives. And unhappy work makes people unhappy. So I really like the fact that actually if you can help people find something fulfilling and exciting, then actually that has such a massive impact on the whole of the rest of your life, really. I mean, who wants to be miserable for, you know, 40 hours a week or however long people work? You know, it's really important that people do things um, that give them the opportunity to be their best selves, really. So that was what really got me into it. And, and then, you know, I tended to specialise with young people facing more challenges because in a way, to me, they were the ones who really, really needed the help. So I loved doing the special needs work. And, um, you know, my absolute passion was if anybody ever told me that they wouldn't ever work or they couldn't ever work, yeah, right, I'll show them. And um, so, you know, I got people into jobs that nobody ever thought. I mean, a young girl who was quadriplegic um, with cystic fibrosis, uh, with cerebral palsy, you know, I got her into a job at, um, in a typing pool with a local authority. And um, she was just such an inspirational young person. And, um, and she, when I first met her, she said to me, please don't let me end up in an adult training centre with loads of old people. And she was just such an inspiration that, you know, she gave me the motivation to do something really, really different for her. Um, so I was quite a naughty careers advisor when I did the frontline work because I just wanted to break all the rules to get people into things that would change their lives. And, um, you know, people like Georgie, still with me, you know, she is one of the... the you know, people that I've worked with who've inspired me the most. And has that driver for your career ever changed as you've climbed up the ranks to the chief executive officer? Or has that always yeah. been the same, helping people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've really pushed advisors. So um, when we do induction for staff, I do induction for every, all, all staff. I've never missed an induction. And the bit I do is always around vision and values and about what our values are. And one of our values is about being passionate about what you do. And I say to people, you know, there are lots of jobs in this world that you don't have to be passionate about, but this is not one of them. That you do have to really, really care because we want you to go the extra mile. We want you to feel empowered to do whatever you need to do to make a difference to young people. 
Um, and, you know, we always need to remember that, you know, you might be sitting in a school and it might be the 10th person you've seen that day and you might be feeling a bit fed up. But for that young person, it's their one opportunity. Um, and so you have to approach each time you meet somebody with that enthusiasm and freshness. doesn't matter how many you've done before. Um, you know, it's, th it's their one opportunity, so you have to make the most of it. And for our viewers, how does Advisor impact careers education top line? Uh, well, we work um, fundamentally with schools, um, with young people, with adults. Um, so it depends on the different projects we do because we, we work across quite a wide range of things. But fundamentally, it's about that one-on-one -on -one work with people that helps them make decisions that help them progress in their life. Great. That one-to-one -one bit is what we want to get into yeah. because many of my sort of peer group, I'm 34 now, have, have spoken to me about their careers, education, and they were always saying, oh, it was rubbish when I had my one-to-one -one and, and it wasn't worth worthwhile. So we want to get into that today and maybe um, uh, bust uh, some myths around that. But your OBE in 2017, I was looking and researching a little bit more around you, Kathy. I had to dig a bit deeper to find the OBE. So clearly very modest, but just tell us about that, please. Um, yeah, well, it's a real anything like that is a huge honour, isn't it? And I suppose you know when you get something like that, it's actually a reflection on the sector and the people you work with and your organisation because you don't achieve those sorts of things on your own. Um, so it was really lovely, I think, for the careers sector for someone in our sector to be recognised um, like that. And I was very, very lucky that when I actually got the OBE, it was one of the last ones probably that the Queen did. So it was actually the Queen at Windsor Castle. Wow. Um, and I live in Windsor, so it was really nice to you know get it in Windsor from the Queen. Wow. Um, so yeah, very special. Well, congratulations on yeah. that again. Very expensive, you know, to have a very expensive new outfit and a very <laughs> fancy hat. <laughs> <laughs> have you worn it again since? No. <laughs> <laughs> like a wedding then yeah. potentially. Um, and you're also chair um, for Careers England yeah. as well. So yeah. um, just a little bit on that, please. Okay, so Careers England is a um, trade body for careers companies in, in England. And I've been chair for quite a long time. It's been fantastic. I love doing it. It's the kind of policy side of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of what we might do is lobbying government or working with key strategic partners to make sure the voice of the careers sector is heard. So, I mean, one of the big pieces of work we've done recently has been about recruitment and retention because there's a massive issue in the careers sector that, you know, careers advisors are really badly paid. And mm. a lot of the contracts that government lets means that you can't pay people better but you also really struggle to get people who are qualified to level six because level six is a postgraduate qualification. Um, you know, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of work to get that kind of qualification. And careers advisors are in really short supply. And, you know, I was saying to government recently, it's fine to be talking about refreshing your career strategy. But if you've got no workforce, you can have all the strategy in the world. But it's, you know, it's people, it's workforce that we need to deliver um, some of the ambitions that we've all got around careers work in the future. So Careers England does that kind of thing very effectively. Okay, well, we've got the right person on the sofa. So I want to bring it firstly to um, your view on careers education now. Mm -hmm. I just want to give you context. So um, in 2012, we had Connections, of course, you know, who was government funded. Mm -hmm. And that was what I experienced. So when I was at school, um, I was forced to go to my Connections office, which wasn't in the school, by the way. It was in the local town. So I went for my one-to-one. -one. I don't remember it too vividly, but I remember going and, and exploring what I wanted to do with my career. Uh, I think it led me down the route of sports coaching, et cetera, which I ended up doing being a PE teacher, et cetera, and, uh, um, and now into this, helping young people, I suppose. So maybe actually on reflection, 
maybe it did work. Mm. Um, yet lots of people say that it's, it, it doesn't work for them and it's a waste of time and, and they didn't need it and, and it's uh, not a very good system. Mm. So um, how have we moved on since then and, and has it improved since then, I suppose? What's your view on it? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, I have to um, declare an interest here in that, you know, uh, um, my first role as a chief executive was running Connections and I'm a big Connections fan. You know, I thought it was a fantastic way of looking at the whole young person because it was holistic. It wasn't just about careers. It was about dealing with all the issues that young people might face, like homelessness or relationships with peers or mental health. And all of those combined together, you know, you can't actually get or hold down a job or have an aspiration for a career if fundamentally you're very unhappy or you're not secure in your living arrangements and those sorts of things. So I really like the fact that Connections looks at the whole young person. I think on the careers guidance side of things, you know, I suppose it comes to it two things. What's the definition of good careers guidance and what impact does it make? And I think for me, the definition of good careers guidance isn't about somebody trots in, sits down and someone tells them what they should do. It's actually about helping so, you know, an advisor, we often talk about walking alongside somebody for a short period of time. And I like that concept. If you walk alongside someone, you're not telling them what to do. You're not doing it for them. You're helping them do it for themselves. And it's about exploring ideas. And some of that involves challenge. And a lot of um, careers ideas can be very unrealistic. So um, it's how do you challenge that in a really positive and constructive way? Or how do you challenge sometimes a lack of ambition? You know, a lot of young people will only ever think within what they already know. So because they don't know any different, they don't think any differently. So some of that challenge might be about trying to broaden their horizons, uh, highlight to them career areas that they don't really know or aren't very familiar with. Um, so that's what good careers guidance looks like to me. Quite challenging, broadens people's aspirations, opens up things that they've never thought of before. Mm. And then the impact side of it, you know, one of the real problems with careers guidance, and I think, you know, it's really difficult that so many people always say it's rubbish. You know, it's, it's very depressing for someone like me, you know, that everyone always thinks it's rubbish because you think, well, my careers interviews weren't rubbish, <laughs> thanks very much, you know. So at least there were a few that were all right, hopefully. Um, and, you know, if you ask somebody 10 minutes after their careers interview, what was it like, then they're thinking in a very narrow range. You know, I actually think you need to think about the impact of careers guidance over a much longer period of time. You know, what influence did it have over somebody's thinking, the choices they made, the decisions they made? Um, so, I mean, you know, when I had my careers interview at school, I talked about wanting to be a psychiatrist. And, and I think what that showed was a very initial yearning to do something with people that would make a difference. But I didn't realise that you had to be a doctor to be a psychiatrist. I don't like blood and I don't want to be a doctor. So, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. You could say my career's guidance was useless. But actually what it did was it opened my thinking to other ways I could help people um, and, uh, you know, other experiences that I could build into my life that would help me help people. So I did loads and loads of voluntary work when I was in school and in my early career. Um, and that really helped build my experience. So actually, you know, when I came to work with kids with special needs, or I worked with people from disadvantaged backgrounds, although I myself came from quite a supportive, very happy background, um, I had some understanding of other people's life experiences because I'd 
made that effort to find out about them. So so me being forced to have that one-to-one was a good thing in your opinion, you know, uh, well, not back the in the day. No, 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 but, but <laughs> I, it wasn't an option, yeah. which is good because it, as an option, sometimes as a young person, you might not take that. Mm. But we were forced to do it and we had to do it and that was statutory and the government paid for it. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think that was a good thing? There are elements of that that were good. You know, yes. I think it was good that it was funded by government and it's good that all young people had access to it. From a purist perspective, careers guidance is much better. It's like most things in life. They're much better if you get people at the right time, you know, when their ears are open, not when their ears are closed. And if you force someone to go to something, you know, there's a very strong chance their ears are closed. Um, So it's about, you know, getting the right person at the right time. But in general, the fact that it was available to all young people and it was paid for by government, yes, I think was a good thing. Because Mm. what we've got now is a complete and utter postcode lottery, you know, where we might end up with, you know, even young people from the same family where one gets careers guidance and one doesn't because they go to different schools. Um, And that can't be right. Uh, Or, you know, very varying levels of quality. Um, You know, some people having careers guidance from level six, highly experienced advisors, other young people getting careers guidance from somebody who's not even qualified. So, um, you know, I think... that's the issue we've got at the moment is a lack of consistency and and the postcode lottery. And that is what you what you mentioned to me. So you, you sort of said a third of schools are doing it pretty well, a third of schools are well intended, and a third of schools are potentially in the long grass around it. So you're saying because the government took that funding away, and we have got other ways of, of working it out now through careers um, guidance, such as your company, mm-hmm. which we'll speak about, but there is no consistency. So some people actually don't have that one-to-one that I, yeah. that, that I got. Yeah. You know, fundamentally, at the end of the day, it's down to the school to create budget to fund it. And that then relates to how much of a priority does the school make it. And, you know, you can understand schools are under massive pressure, particularly at the moment with the whole cost of living stuff. You know, heating bills have gone up. Staffing costs have gone up. You know, pension payments have gone up. All of these sorts of things. So if you're looking at a school budget and you're saying, well, I've still got to try and squeeze out some money for careers guidance well where are you going to squeeze it from so i don't think it's necessarily always that schools don't want to do it but it's really hard for them to find the resources to do it and i think there's an assumption that there's loads of money sloshing around in schools that means they can do it and they really can't you know what they do is remarkable on a shoestring Mm. and and so the onus is back on the school now to do career since 2012 agreed Mm -hmm. Um, yet the government have put in initiatives such as the Careers and Enterprise Company, who, who we work very closely with. Um, um, I think your company does as yeah. well, Advisor. Uh, through local enterprise partnerships or more the, down on the local uh, e- economies and working with school hubs, uh, career hubs indeed. Um, but that's in a supportive measure. Is that right? Just to explain a little bit about that function and how it differs to what the, mo- the yeah. model that I got. Yeah, so I suppose you know, the difference with that model is it's about enabling and facilitating. So it's about helping schools make contacts with local employers. It's about helping them think about how they develop their career strategy in school, sharing good practice, sharing contacts, you know, bringing employers um, in, in enter- as enterprise advisors into schools to advise on careers programmes. All of that is fantastic, but it's all dancing around the great big problem that sits in the middle, which is the lack of resources. Because, you know, sometimes you need to help people navigate the information, just, you know, sort of piling information on people is difficult if you don't have any way of navigating that information. So, um, and that could be through the school, it could be through a careers advice, all sorts of ways, but you've got to give people time and space to reflect on what they've, what they've heard 
and think about and what are the implications for that for me uh, and that's really and that takes resource and you can't get away from the fact that you know what you experience somebody paid for that person to sit with you for the time that you had your interview and all the people before you and that resource doesn't exist anymore so I think we're doing an amazing job with very little I suppose my challenge to policymakers would be, and what could we do? What more could we do? How much better could it be if we resource this work properly? And just to summarise there, you know, just to sort of take you out, outside the box there, what is the biggest barrier, do you think, towards good careers advice? I suppose two, two things. One is funding, which, you know, you might have guessed that. I might say that um, from what I've said so far, say resourcing. Uh, but it isn't just about money. You know, there's actually huge amounts of wastage in the system at the moment. So I actually think if you stop wasting money and started thinking strategically about the resources that are in the system and not having them in silos in the way we do at the moment, we might actually have enough money. So it's about how you use those resources effectively. But the other big barrier is workforce not having enough people with the right skills and training um, to do this work. And you know that there is a really serious skills shortage in the career sector and we need more people. We need more people like me sitting in university, tapping the careers advisor on the shoulder and saying, well, what about your job? Mm. How do you do that? And, and at the moment, it's not a terribly attractive option because, you know, I think people in our sector feel that it's not valued um, because resources have been chopped back and back and back over the years. And do you know where some of that waste is going? Is it, is it clear or is it, is it difficult to answer? I don't think it's difficult. I think, you know, it's about looking at, um, I mean, for example, you've got, because careers guidance is poor, um, a lot of people aren't really thinking about their post-18 career decisions. So dropout from university is very high. There must be a cost. You know, there's a personal cost in that people take on debt. There's an emotional cost because dropping out of something is difficult. There's a cost to the university. So actually, what's that, you know, what's that pot of money um, how could that be used more effectively? If you had better careers guidance earlier, would you have less dropout from universities? Same with FE colleges. You often get a lot of dropout in the January of the first year that people go to FE because they find it's not for them because they didn't really think enough about that. So, you know, it's those sort that of waste. pockets of wastage that actually would it not be more constructive to use that in a more purposeful way rather than let failure happen? Um, but in a very negative way, you know, you're not even helping people process the learning from those experiences. Indeed. And let's talk about head teachers then, because that's where maybe it, it could come down to. So is much of what you're discussing there empowered by a head teacher? Yeah, I mean, heads are hugely influential on this whole area. And I think, you know, most heads want to do the right thing. I think, you know, what I found in the years that I've been working in this sector is that heads tend to be one of two types. Um, you've got some heads who understand that education is a whole life thing. It's about preparing children and young people for the whole of the rest of their lives and giving them the skills to navigate that life, of which careers is a really big part of it. And then I think you've got another sort of school of thought, which is about the fact that education is really about achieving academic qualifications and making sure that people leave your school with the best possible package of of academic success and I think probably Ofsted encourages that sort of you know not not just Ofsted but you know general expectations in the community you know a lot of people will say well why did you choose that school for your child and they'll say oh because they get great GCSE results 
but actually, would it not be better if they, if we were all able to say because they turn out really great human beings? Mm. Um, so you know, often there's too much of a focus on academic success, um, and that, and because that's what Ofsted measures as well. It's you know that old saying about what gets measured gets done, um, and that takes the focus off the career stuff. So, you know, heads are hugely influential, and there are a lot of really good heads out there, but they're making really difficult decisions you know do i turn the heating on or do i pay for a careers advisor you know do i get my careers leader i mean some careers leaders literally have two hours a week to do the job mm. how could anybody i mean i have such massive respect for them mm. because to do what they do in a couple of hours a week is truly remarkable I was on the phone recently to um, a teacher who was doing a program with us that they were in charge of careers. And unfortunately, uh, they were also in charge of physics. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and he explained to me, I don't have five or 15 minutes for a phone call. I just I just can't get there. And, and the work we do to try and work around them to help them enable what they need to enable to help their young people. And then um, and then there's another situation again, you know, the person who was in charge of sort of STEM, they, they were sort of supporting careers, but the head of careers was was a head of English. Mm. And, and, and it's just so difficult. Are you seeing that a lot where there's yeah. these dual roles? Yeah, hugely. And, you know, being head of English is a really important job, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I'm sure carries massive amounts of responsibility with it. So where are they going to find the time for careers out of all of that? And it, so, yeah, it just seems to get added on to people's responsibilities. And maybe that comes with the sort of pay and senior leadership structures in schools, that it's easier to add a bit on um, to somebody who's already you know, in a senior leadership position. Um, but it's not really thinking about what is needed because actually for good careers work to be effective, somebody does need time. And, and actually, you know, that point that you raised, Chris, about, you know, being able to take a phone call, mm. it's really difficult for people to work with schools and it drives employers around the bend because employers can't be saying, well, I remember that the teacher's got a break between 11.20 and 11.25, so I've got to ring at that particular moment in time. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult to... Practical communications with schools are really difficult. And what you see some schools do, some schools have created non-teaching roles, so they can't be the senior you know, lead for careers because you are supposed to have somebody who's on the senior leadership team, but they often do have sort of quite operational roles where people who are not teachers, so they don't have a teaching caseload, and they're able to do some of this liaison um, externally because fundamentally... Careers is about looking outwards from a school, and you can't look outwards if you've never got any time and resource to do it. No, it makes sense. And to be clear, then, so advisor, your your situation would come in where they have funding to be able to have your advisors come in and give that one to one support. Yeah. But that's optional, I suppose. Hence, not everybody uses you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a business now. Mm. You know, I mean, although we're a charity, um, we charge people for our services. We don't make massive amount of profit. We don't make any profit. But um, but you know, people have to buy us in. And they're buying in people who are qualified to level six and supported with a full CPD program um, and, you know, supported with safeguarding and all the other you know, IT and all the other stuff that sits around it. So obviously that's not cheap. So some schools will not buy that service because they can't afford to. Fine, I understand. So we used to have it. Um, it was it was connections. It was it was government led. Now we've got the careers and enterprise company supporting. We have great enterprise advisors and employer volunteers going in and giving that inspiration. But it's a slightly different model to have that having that one to one time that Chris McNamara had when he was fourteen, yeah. where you sat down, you can explore, you can reflect. 
uh, and it's compulsory. Mm. At the moment, we're not seeing that with every young person. And mm. Please remind me what the statutory obligation is for a young person to have that support. So young people, the statutory guidance says that young people should have um, a one-to-one, in a dedicated one-to-one interaction with a qualified careers advisor, pre-16, and then another one post-16. Brilliant, okay. Um, now I must pick something up with you just to get it onto the pod as well. We spoke about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I, I've spoken to people uh, in the careers landscape who say that if I'm a trained careers teacher, I've got my level six qualification um, with my professional body. I'm, I'm trained and I'm impartial because I've, I've been trained in that way. I work in my my um, my school who pay, who pay my bills. I am impartial. Um, because I am um, under the banner of that qualification, which supersedes anything that the school might influence me on, i.e. get more people into sixth form. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in that statement or incorrect? Well, I think it's a bit of a grey area because the sta- if you follow the guidance that the DfE has issued, the implication is that that is OK. If you look at the actual legislation, there's a little footnote of the legislation that defines what independent and impartial is. And it does say that it should be level six and not employed by the school. So it's become a bit of a grey area over the years. And you, on the one hand, you could say that if you've done a level six qualification, that includes sort of professional ethics and impartiality would be a really big part of that. And there are lots of people employed by schools who, you know, genuinely uphold that ethical stance. But, you know, if you work in a school where your sixth form is at risk of closing because you haven't got enough people and the head's saying to you, you know, I really need more of year 11 to be staying on post-16, you know, there's also a practical side of it, isn't there? If you want to keep your job, um, frankly, you need the sixth form to survive. Um, So there is this financial bit as well. And, you know, we certainly know of schools where um, young people considering sixth form haven't been allowed to have a careers interview, you know, the reason that the government's had to introduce this legislation about provider access is that there's an awful lot of evidence of schools not um, allowing access to a wide range of providers so that young people can consider all the options because they don't want them to consider all the options. So I think you've got theory and practice and a bit of a grey area going on in the middle as well. Mm, it's, it's frustrating hearing hearing you outline it like that because there's so much that, that could change to make yeah. it better because ultimately the, the teachers have all been to university and they've done that route and they're coming into a very busy, very stressful role where uh, maybe it, you know, um, it's a case of the easier option is come into the sixth form, which generates income for us, and off you go to university because you, you, hopefully you can figure it out from there because you, you, you might do quite well from that. Yeah. But why I started Pathway was <laughs> that's how my school treated us. And I went to uni along with my peer group um, and it was right for me. I, I, I had a bit of backing from my, from my parents to maybe support me and guide me. But some of my mates didn't have what I had at home and they relied on the school for their advice and they went to university and they dropped out in year one Mm. and went back to their part-time role and made it full-time for a bit. And I just felt it was unfair for them because um, it's a a year lost, a bit of confidence lost Mm. and, you know, life's hard enough as it is and they've just been forced down a route, got a bit of debt and maybe felt like a failure Mm. because the support wasn't there, even though we still had the one-to-one support, don't get me wrong, but... It just need, it just shows that in education we need to make sure that we do give all those options. Mm. That's basically you know, what you touch on there. Is two things really. You know, young people are quite risk averse, so often they will choose a route that's familiar to them. So like staying on in sixth form feels familiar. If all your mates are staying on in sixth form, you think, well, my mates are staying on, and I'm familiar with the school, and you know, it's it's sort of the least hassle route because young people often don't like too much hassle either. Um, so it's an easy route. 
And then the other thing you touched on is that experience of teachers. You know, a lot of teachers went through the education system very successfully and then went to uni and then trained as a teacher and then have come back into the education system. And so it worked for them. You know, it's a system that worked and delivered the results for them, but they've often not necessarily had the breadth of experience of the world of work outside of school or the experience of that system not working for you. Um, because, you know, those of us who were more academic and went that route, you know, it's a system that worked for us, but it doesn't work for everybody. And again, the importance of having trained proper careers teachers because it's going to work for a teacher because that's the route to get into teaching mm. and teachers are, are, are undersupplied. Yeah. Whereas if you want to go into work into the city or in finance or in technology, actually the stats say you've got more chance of getting into an apprenticeship scheme because it's less competitive because yeah. the graduate market is not only international, but there's more people applying for the roles. Yeah. So why aren't young people being told that more? Mm. And, and another little bugbear I just want to speak about in front of you is uh, you know, teachers saying don't apply for level three or level four apprenticeships, only go for the degree level or the higher level apprenticeships because that's what you want to progress from, from a level three, A level or, or BTEC, whatever it might be, from T level up to that level six. And you want to get up to the, the, the degree level. But actually, I've got Google, I've got different brands, uh, BT, where there's level three apprenticeships that parents are being told don't look at those mm. because it's not a, a development. What would you say about that? I mean, I suppose that just highlights, doesn't it, that people aren't really, you know, often people don't do their homework well enough on these opportunities because I'm sure big organisations like you've mentioned, like Google, probably have career progression within the organisation. So just because you start in one place doesn't mean that's where you're going to finish. So actually, you've got to think, it's about thinking about the whole big picture, isn't it? Not just the qualification, but what's the kind of company, what are the prospects with that company, um, what's it going to look like on my CV? Because you could argue, you know, a level three from Google is going to look a lot better on your CV than perhaps a level six from a company nobody's heard of. So it's doing your research, isn't it? And I think often we don't do enough research in this careers field before people make really important decisions. So you make, you know, if you were buying a house, you have a survey done, you know, you have to go through the whole mortgage process. You do quite a lot of research before you buy a house. Uh, I bet nobody does quite that much research on a job mm. and you hear the Labour government are looking to introduce a more broad curriculum with digital skills becoming the fourth pillar along with reading writing and maths that's what they're saying mm -hmm. they want to do to help young people become more job ready um, you know yet more does need to be done for practical life skills at the moment there's a little bit around uh, uh, mortgages and credit cards in citizenship but they want to be doing more of that I think in, in that subject which which is great but What's your view on the Gatsby benchmarks, I must ask, because the Careers and Enterprise Company, the Gatsby Review, um, ha have come in with these uh, eight Gatsby benchmarks um, that are designed to help link careers into the curriculum and get those encounters and employers in, mm -hmm. into the school place. Um, is that making a good impact from your point of view? Yeah, I, mean, I think the Gatsby benchmarks are great. And a lot of it is not new stuff. You know, when you've been around in careers for quite a long time, it's not new. What, what was fantastic about Gatsby is it brought it all together in one place. And I think it described it in a common language that people could identify with. And it set it within a framework that's comprehensible to people. So it's been brilliant. And, you know, I wouldn't have any criticism whatsoever of the benchmarks. I think my challenge would be, and so what more can we do using them? And how can we make sure that we keep developing, you know, it's not good enough just to say, oh, we've got bad Gatsby benchmarks, tick, 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 mm -hmm. um, job done, because the job is very far from done.
Definitely. And one thing we're working at Pathway CTM with the Careers and Enterprise Company is around uh, teacher encounters. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting getting young people is what are used to doing this, going on work experience in a, at a company and coming back and, 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 and doing really well from it. Mm -hmm. That's Gatsby Benchmark 6, experiences of the workplace. Mm -hmm. But we're doing Gatsby Benchmark 4, careers in the curriculum. So how can we get careers linked into the curriculum better? Mm -hmm. uh, and we're actually putting placements out, um, teachers out on placement with companies, whether that be one day, two days, three days out on uh, a company company site, mm -hmm. feeling it, understanding it, speaking to people, um, understanding how it makes money, how it makes contributions towards society, how it rewards its staff and it has a, a, an amazing culture, whatever that might be. But most importantly, the job roles and the skills that are needed. Um, and then they are bringing that knowledge back into the classroom to be like, not only have I been there and done it, and I know about the local economy and this big company that I might be working with, but I know about their opportunities as, as an apprentice, as a graduate, as an intern, as an entry level route. Uh, and I know the skills they're looking for. So we're actually bringing teachers back in now uh, who are more informed about what's going on there in in the economy so that's only a good thing as well isn't it absolutely and um you know there are so many new i mean i think they say don't they that uh, most people who are at school now will end up doing jobs that haven't even been thought of yet so you know the work for the labor market is changing so rapidly all the time and you know i find it fascinating i mean i'm a shocker at parties because i love you know knowing all about people's jobs and what they're doing because they're so interesting because it's changed such a lot from you know experiences that i might have had in the past and so to get teachers out looking at how some of this work is developing I mean, think about it and the changes in it i remember the first computer room i ever went into was probably a room as big as this with machines all around the world were in a way and now you know you could do things on a chip that the same amount of processing on a chip the size of my little fingernail um so you know it's, the workforce has changed the workplace has changed such a lot and opened up new opportunities so i think for teachers to have the opportunity to go and see that is great because then they can bring it back into their teaching and make their teaching relevant and exciting for young people yeah, definitely. I just want to do a little bit of an exercise, actually, if we can sort of walk through year seven up to year 13 in what would be the ideal situation, regardless of funding, so to mm -hmm. speak. So key stage three, year, year seven, eight and nine. What, what, what if you were a head teacher there with a magic wand, unlimited budget within reason? Mm -hmm. uh, um, <laughs> let's just say what's the minimum they should be getting there? What do you think you, you'd be giving to those students? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things that came out of Gatsby that I think, you know, like the encounters with employers. So, you know, the idea is that everybody should have an encounter every year. Um, and that's been brought down now to Key Stage 3, hasn't it, as yes, well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it includes the group you're talking about. Um, so that would be really important. But I think there's no point giving people an encounter without processing it in some way you know it's very it's all very well to have a big employer come in and talk about it or go on a visit somewhere but there's the so what questions so mm -hmm. i would do a bit more on the so what you know what what are the implications for this for me i think the other thing you do with that younger age group is do a lot of self-reflection and understanding of yourself you know who are you what do you want out of life what are your strengths you know what are your interests what might you like to do more of, less of? You know, some of those things that are starting to emerge at that age. In, in a one-to-one -one setting, do you think? Could I it think be group settings? You can do them in groups mm. as well. But just that kind of getting to know myself thing because, you know, that's a really difficult thing and it's a very key pillar to career stuff that actually, if somebody knows themselves, then, you know, you, you can go much further in the careers discussion. But if they don't know themselves then um, and you know, you're really starting from quite a long way back. So I would do a lot of stuff around that. Mm. 
Kathy, I've got an idea on that, if you, if you will. So um, Capfinity Strengths yeah. uh, Profiling. So that's something we do with all of our staff when they join. So what are you good at? What are you bad at? Um, I'm bad at attention to detail, good at speaking sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I try and hire people who are better at the detail, for mm -hmm. example. And so um, it's something that I did when I first started the business was inspirational talk. And then we went straight to CVs and young people didn't know what they could put in that CV. And that's another bugbear. People don't have CVs. Um, but then what we ended up doing was um, we did inspirational talk into psychology. What are you good at in terms of your strengths and now into your CVs? Mm. So now young people are inspired, hopefully. Now they know what they're kind of good at in terms of their strengths. And then bang, they can put that at the top of their CV and go from there. So what we're actually encouraging, um, and we have a bit of a partnership with Capfinity, uh, any young person who's underprivileged, maybe uh, from a free school meal background and needs a bit more support, so on paper, they get a free profile with us. And I just think that's an amazing way to start. Imagine starting year seven, yeah. being like, here's a profile, and it says uh, um, scientifically what you're good at. Mm. And so you can run with that for a little bit, because how many, how many years does it take people to realise what they're good at sometimes? Yeah. And I think what that does is it gives people self-belief, which a lot of young people don't have. But also, it helps them understand what their strengths are outside just the academic curriculum. Because, you know, somebody might be deemed not very good at English. But actually, they might be fantastic at talking, about being persuasive, about communicating. I mean, even if it's not necessarily the most positive kind of communication. You know, some of those young people are actually very good at communication, just possibly in the wrong time and place. But it's capturing those strengths, isn't it? You know, and often what we do is we, you contextualise it within a school setting. You're good at English or you're good at maths or you're not good at one of these things. But your actual applied skills in those areas might be fantastic. And it's then able to build on that, um, you know, rather than putting someone in detention because they speak back to the teacher. Mm. Maybe it's about acknowledging that they can be quite a good public speaker possibly and just I, in the wrong time and place and identifying that strength yeah. but uh, maybe telling Using them off at the same time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so now year seven and eight and nine let's say we know what we're good at mm -hmm. and let's say now the teachers are coming in because they've all been out on placements mm -hmm. and they understand about the, the the local economy and they're an expert at uh, the local company that does xyz and they brought that into the curriculum i.e we're doing science today and guess what here's some videos or here's some content or here's some case studies about why science is used in the local economy or in that dream job that you might want to get at gsk mm -hmm. for example and now we move on a little bit so young people are starting to think oh where do I want to be and what am I good at and I kind of know what I'm good at right and then we go maybe year 10 and 11 mm. often it's like oh goodness year 11s we can't touch because of GCSEs so again the examination system and the system may be getting in the way of our careers here um, but year 10 often it, it could be work experience I just wonder what's your view on that key stage four curriculum uh, and work experience and indeed maybe what you would do in your school mm. Well, I mean, I think work experience is a really, really tricky thing because schools are like a sausage machine, you know. So um, if you fit in the sausage machine, it's fine. Um, so, you know, and schools deal with groups, they don't deal with individuals. So, for example, in year 10, if you want to do work experience, they've all got to go out at the same time because that's the only way you can make it work on the timetable, that you take them off timetable for two weeks or whatever and off everybody goes to work experience. And that's been the traditional way of doing it but what that means is it's not necessarily the right time and right place for that individual young person because you know if I send you out on work experience at a time when it's not right for you all you're going to do is be quite fed up and not get much out of it and it also means that then you're in a mad panic oh I've got to get a hold of your turn you know out on work experience and so what you found in the past was people ending up in very inappropriate placements that weren't progressing their career ideas so you know in an ideal world 
what you'd want is some kind of system like flexi points, you know, where you could say at some point in year 10, you can go on work experience, but it can be at any time, which I know this is all completely in an ideal mm. world. Um, but then you might do it at the right time for those young people. Um, so they would then get more out of it, um, be able to prepare them better for it, debrief from it and think about the so what again, you know, what, what did they learn from it? I love the idea of, of having a class, uh, a year group and being like, okay, go out there and, and have a go and, and fail three or five times. Mm. You know, like you hear about people applying for jobs, they apply for 60 jobs until they get one person and give them an interview. Mm -hmm. Everything else is no information, just rejection. Mm -hmm. How are we training our young people for that? How cool would it be if I went out to my local um, environment and I, and I went and put 10 letters in or 10 emails and I got rejected from nine of them? Mm. That would be pretty awesome and celebrate that that um that failure yeah because that's what we need and then suddenly you've got young people finding their own placements because um as an employer if someone contacts me directly i'm more interested than if their mum picks up the phone or the teacher's trying to get 10 students with me that's mm. that's just how it is isn't it yeah and i suppose you know one of the things often in trying to protect young people we don't allow them to build any resilience and so when they do come across a hurdle they don't have the resilience or the toolkit to help them through difficult times and, you know, learning to fail is really, really important. And I think most of us as leaders could say that what we've learned most about leadership has been in the difficult times mm. and the things that have gone wrong. Um, you know, what I tend to do in, in all our interviews for senior staff, I always ask people, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Mm. I have had to add at work. <laughs> I've had a few dodgy answers. <laughs> but um, so what did you fail at at work and what did you learn from it? And it's fascinating, you know, really fascinating to listen to people. That's no, brilliant. And and so now we've got our year 10s. Many of them have found their own placements. Mm -hmm. um, some of them won't because it's it's hard and some of them won't because they haven't. Mm -hmm. um, but then maybe we can put some funding or, or, or a program in place for them um, in that week, for mm -hmm. example, you know, so, but, mm -hmm. but the rest of them have learned loads of lessons, loads of failures, and they're all going out there and having a go and thinking about what they want to do in life rather than waiting for it to happen. Mm -hmm. That would be my ideal. I'm sort of taking over your idea now. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, year 11, we are still focused on GCSEs. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. We can't really get around that at the moment, can we? Focus on your exams? Not really, but, you know, there are important decisions that have to be made in year 11 about where am I going mm -hmm. in September. And, um, you know, young people do now have to stay in some kind of educational training till the age of 18. So they need to choose, you know, opportunities that will continue with their development. And those decisions have to be made in year 11. That's right. So, you know, so there's some actual quite practical decisions that have to be made in year 11. Um, and, you know, it's making sure that young people have got all the information to be able to make that decision. And, you know, often maybe that's why a lot of people will just choose to stay yeah. in sixth form because it's the easy option and they don't know about any of the other alternatives. And this pre-work hasn't been done, not in our school where it has been done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I suppose there's there's three clear routes, aren't there? I can go and do an apprenticeship at 16, mm -hmm. or indeed um, I could stay on and do A-levels and stay on uh, the trad traditional route or do that in college, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, or I could go and do T-levels now as well, which are the new qualification. Mm -hmm. um, I won't ask you on T-levels, um, but it's a new option mm -hmm. out there for young people to explore and companies to be involved in. Um, so I've got three routes that I can take there, right? And, and then let's say I, I go into sixth form, for example. That's where we work with a lot of our young people, uh, about 50,000 across the UK at Pathway CTM. Many of them are in sixth forms. Mm -hmm. But what I find, although we want to go down the curriculum and help them explore their journeys, we do do some of that, of course, in the curriculum. But it's really in year 12 that they can look up and that's the first time they go, 
I kind of want some help now. I want to start looking at things. Mm -hmm. But in our school, they would have already known where they're kind of interested and maybe what they don't enjoy. And they would already automatically be looking at, right, what work experience programs can I go and get involved in this summer? Mm -hmm. Because more and more companies are doing work Mm -hmm. experience schemes. You can go and apply for them. Some you can get paid on as well. So we would have way more proactive year 12s who are therefore all doing it, hopefully, rather than only, let's say, 20% are doing it through my company Mm -hmm. because the rest still aren't looking up. Because too many young people are looking up in year 13 and thinking, now let me have a think about it. I much prefer in year 12 if you can go out there, do more work experience, do more online events, et cetera, et cetera, and meet people and meet companies and and universities, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. And then in year 13, it's more about the selection and the narrowing down. What's your view on that? Yeah, I think, you know, that year 12 is a really important year for that sort of research and acquiring of knowledge and um, so you know often you're supposed to really start doing your applications for university from the kind of autumn term of uh, year 13 if you're looking at the university route so in order to know what you want to apply for you've got to have done the research and the thinking about it beforehand so I think it is really important to take that time and maybe do you know do crazy things do more voluntary work you know um, Lots of young people don't really do enough voluntary work. Mm. And that's a great way of learning more about yourself and about what you're good at, something you can be doing um, in, in year 12. And um, and my, my, my question to you, which I always ask young people, is um, what, what would you be doing? Would you be applying for university uh, and having a go at apprenticeships now you know about them? Or what would you do if you had your time again, I wonder? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I'm the best person to ask. Cause, you know, I was kind of like quite an academic kid. I liked history, and I probably would still, I would still go and do it. And, 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 and why? Because you enjoy it. Yeah, because I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, but not with. I mean, when I went to university, in, I mean, actually, I used to drive my family mad because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And people always, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? I used to say to people, I want to be an astronaut because it shut them up really quickly, <laughs> and um, and you know, there was no more discussion about it. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. I needed to grow up. And I think what I loved about history is it's kind of about people and the world and why the world is the way it is. So I would still choose that. But if I had more concrete ideas about what I would want to do, I definitely would have considered an apprenticeship. Interesting. Because, um, you know, I think it's, it's a fantastic opportunity, but it probably wasn't for me because I was maybe a bit more academically inclined. And, um, you know, you can't really do an apprenticeship in history. No, Probably could have done an apprenticeship with the National Trust. Which, you know. Surely that's why um, that's the failure. Because I went to university to go and do sports science because I was interested in it. You went to go and do history because you were interested in it. Maybe if we went to our... Now I'm co-head with you, by the way. Mm-hmm. If we went to our co-head school we wouldn't go down those pathways because we already know what we want. Mm-hmm. You see, because our, our, our selection was interest, and that's what it always comes down to. I'm interested in this, so I'm going to go and do that. But maybe that's because we haven't figured out what we want to do earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and we might not know earlier, and that's fine. But what if we had the opportunity to figure out earlier? Maybe I would have gone and found something completely different to just mm-hmm. go into what I like doing in my subjects. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense in any way? Yeah, I suppose, but there is also a slight thing about kind of growing up and life experience and um and some things take time you know they're a bit like percolating a coffee that you know it takes a bit of time to make a really good coffee and um so i think sometimes you know it's important not to stovepipe young people yes and push them along too quickly because sometimes there's something about life and learning life lessons 
And I mean, for example, when I was at uni, I did loads of voluntary work with all sorts of very interesting, different groups of people. And that expanded my horizons hugely. Mm. You know, I came from a small seaside town. You know, my life experience is probably a bit limited. Mm. Um, you know, and I went to a, a big high profile university and did lots of voluntary work that, you know, with groups that I would never ever have come across before. Mm. And that broadened my horizons and thinking. So I think it's about, it's being a bit like a, a sort of encouraging curiosity, isn't it? And maybe that's one of the themes in this wonderful school that we're going to create is about how you encourage curiosity and you really welcome it and you give people the opportunity to be like a snowball rolling down a curious mountain. Whereas as you roll down the mountain, you get more and more curious and you have more and more experiences mm. that open your eyes to how the world really is. And we don't care where they go. We just care that they chose it and they're informed about it. Yeah. Um, they're happy. Yeah. Which the current education system does it make people happy? That's another podcast, I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and my my last question would be at at the school that we've now co-designed. Mm -hmm. So eighty six percent of the sort of top two hundred companies uh, that take on students, so graduates, apprentices, eighty six percent of employers don't recruit by subject discipline. Mm -hmm. Are we a school that um, you know enforces you must be studying the STEM subjects because they're the, they're the serious ones? You know, maybe we go down a, a slightly uh, different route with the uh, international baccalaureate and do the seven subjects there. Or are we going to say, do what you enjoy and, uh, and do it really well? What's your view on that? It's really, really difficult, isn't it? Because I think my heart would say, do what you enjoy, because you're going to be much more successful doing what you enjoy. The difficulty can be that the way our education system is created is if you don't choose certain things, you close doors. You know, our system closes doors more than it opens them. And that's actually a really bad thing. You know, I think good careers guidance actually is about opening doors. But um, so think about, you know, for example, things that are STEM related or medicine or things like that. There are certain A-levels that you've got to choose. And if you didn't choose them, that door shut, you know, and it's, and it's very difficult. It takes an awfully long time to then mm. sort of, you know, go back round the circuit and get yourself back through the door. So, you know, my heart would say, do what makes you happy. And my head would say, but just have a little eye on the fact that yeah. there are, you don't want to close any doors. And I completely agree with you. I think I'm a little bit more radical the other way, just because I hear too many schools saying you've got to do it this way. Yeah. But I think what you said there is the balanced approach, which is the right one. Mm. It's just giving that right advice. But I just get frustrated when people get told you have to do it this way. They're miserable doing it. And they think they've got to go down a certain path and they're miserable. Mm. And that's just not the way to do it, is yeah. it? Yeah. Um, Catherine, um, really interesting talking to you today. I, th I definitely used up more time than we were allowed. And um, thanks very much for your time today. It's really interesting. I enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks a lot.